Hello and welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Kerry O'Brien, journalist and former editor and host of the 7.30 Report and Four Corners on the ABC and recent author of Keating, a book about the political career of Paul Keating, our former Australian Prime Minister. Well, I've got to say, only a couple of months into the Arate podcast, it's a tremendous honour to have Kerry O'Brien on as my guest today. And I must admit to being pretty daunted uh, interviewing Kerry. And as I say at the beginning of the interview, whilst I have interviewed many, many uh, people in relation to their careers, particularly in relation to applying for new jobs, uh, to sit down and actually have a conversation with Kerry O'Brien, even though it was over the telephone, who would be regarded as one of the very best of interviewers uh, in Australia, if not in the world, uh, was uh, nerve-wracking to say the least. But anyway, uh, Kerry made the experience uh, in- extremely enjoyable for me, and it's a great chat, and even though it's not a particularly long chat, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. Before we get to the conversation with Kerry, let me just tell you a little bit about the Arate podcast and my business, Arate Executive, for those people who haven't listened to the podcast before. Arate is a Greek word that means the fulfillment of one's full potential. And the idea about this podcast is to invite on guests who have achieved or are achieving their own career potential and talk to them about the kind of things that they've done in order to achieve those successes, you know, potentially key achievements along the way or lessons learnt, mentors they've had, uh, anything that has allowed them to uh, reach the kind of pinnacles that they have. Because a lot of people listening to this podcast have aspirations to also achieve great things in their career. And if we can create a environment where they can learn from those who have walked the path before them, and apply those learnings in order to accelerate their career, then I think that that's a great thing, not only for the business community, but also for the broader Australian community in developing our future leaders. And Kerry certainly is no exception to that. My business, Arate Executive, has been around for seven years, or nearly seven years, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We have some very innovative recruitment solutions, and certainly if you have an appetite for executive recruitment within your own organisations, I would welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about it. But today is all about Kerry, and so let me introduce you to him now. Kerry O'Brien is one of Australia's most respected journalists. With six Walkley Awards, including the Gold Walkley, and the Walkley for Outstanding Leadership in Journalism. In a 50-year career, Kerry has worked for newspapers, television and the wire service, and as a foreign correspondent. 33 of those years have been at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, where he cut his teeth on the trailblazing current affairs programs This Day Tonight and Four Corners. He has interviewed some of the most influential world leaders of his time, including Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, Mikhail Gorbachev, 
Margaret Thatcher and Tony Blair. Most recently, Kerry has written and published the book Keating, about the life of Paul Keating, the former Australian Labor Prime Minister. And much of the conversation today is around this book. So sit back and enjoy the conversation with Kerry O'Brien. Kerry, thanks very much for joining us on the Arate podcast. It's a, a real honour to have you on today. Uh, as an executive recruiter, I've interviewed thousands of people myself, but only in relation to uh, them finding a new job. So uh, I hope, if nothing else, this is a, a pleasant and enjoyable experience for you. Well, thanks for the interest, Richard. I oh, know it's great. I'm sure uh, what you have to say will be of great interest to uh, my audience. And really today, I, I'm interested in having a chat to you about the book that you've recently written, uh, Keating, about uh, Australia's Labor Prime Minister from 1991 to 96. And certainly I've had a personal fascination with uh, Paul Keating uh, right back from doing my MBA in the early 2000s where I had to write a 10,000-word assignment on Paul Keating. Oh, and, uh, okay. Don Watson's book at the time was a very useful resource. Uh, I wish yeah. that uh, yours had been available then too. Yeah, look, um, I mean... Uh, although Don Watson, although Paul Keating fell out uh, with Don Watson after that book, um, there's very little in that book that uh, that Keating quibbles with. Right. Uh, and I think he was quite sad to see the end of what he regarded as a genuine friendship. Sure. But um, it goes to the complexity of the guy that um, that <laughs> there were things in the book that he he thought Watson went too far and he. Uh, and that was the end of the friendship. Mm. And uh, certainly uh, Watson's book, uh, a very different style of your, uh, to yours, and uh, uh, I've read your book and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I suppose my first question is, uh, given that you've interviewed, no doubt, hundreds if not thousands of famous leaders in your time, what's so significant about Paul Keating that inspired you to write the book? Uh, what is it that you think people to know about him? Well, uh, first of all, um, I did the television, the, the series of television interviews with him for the ABC, and yes. that was that was sixteen hours of recorded conversation, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, which we cut down to four hours, mm-hmm. and then for the book I did another sixteen, right. and uh, so so really you're looking at uh, somewhere between thirty two and thirty five hours of conversation all up. So my fascination with Keating is this: I've known him since he was. Um, as the, the, he was the promising, uh, quite driven young backbencher who was in a hurry and was clearly uh, on the road to the top. And uh, that wasn't just his view. Uh, there was quite a wide perception inside the Labor Party in those days, and I'm going back 40 years, uh, that he was a future leader of the party. Um, I think I think that... Um, that some of the things that separated Keating from other leaders and and make him particularly fascinating were um, his drive for power from such an early age. Mm. What was it that uh, that had him so fascinated with power, and where did the ambition come from? Because he was thinking from a, from the age of fifteen, eighteen, certainly eighteen, twenty, he was he was already setting his sights mm-hmm. for the top. And then, uh, and then, for me, once he actually got to power, first as sec- as treasurer in the Hawke years, and then as prime minister, what did he do with it, and how did he exercise power? Mm-hmm. But 
But uh, one thing I think that set Keating apart, and, and, and I think it's a part of the key to understanding him, uh, was that unlike, unlike some other leaders, uh, Keating didn't just bring curiosity to the table, um, because I think curiosity is innate to us, but some people are driven more by curiosity than others, and Keating was one of them. He also had... Uh, and and there are a lot of there are a lot of bright people who have become leaders, even prime ministers. But his brightness was accompanied by imagination. Mm-hmm. He had a real imagination, and somewhere in him was this kind of bed of passion. He brought passion to the equation. So if he uh, was persuaded to an idea or a policy as treasurer and as prime minister, uh, and decided to commit himself to it, he would then bring a passion. To that, mm-hmm. uh, he'd make that issue his own, mm-hmm. and uh, in some instances would move heaven and earth uh, to to make the, that passion, that policy, a reality. Sure. And you can you can see that pattern right through that big reform agenda, economic reform agenda of the 80s and into the early 90s, and then some of the sort of big ticket items. Uh, reform items that he that he tried to drive through as prime minister. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads me. Oh, sorry, 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 Richard. And and the other thing was, he's such a great communicator. Yes, it was a two-edged sword for him because some people didn't like the kind of invective or the 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 extent to which he would drive against his political enemies in the parliament, and he would abuse, and he would inveigle, and he would. You know, he'd talk about the unrepresentative swill in the Senate, and he would, as he, he says himself, he used to enjoy throwing liberals around the chamber like rag dolls. Well, some people didn't like that kind of image. And so so he was marked up by some and marked down by others. Um, but he was a natural storyteller, and he had a great turn of phrase mm-hmm. and a lovely sense of mischief. Yeah, so I certainly, uh, uh, from my own remembrances of the time and, and reading your book and watching the ABC series uh, where he talks about having enemies was a badge of honour, etc. Mm. Uh, but I suppose um, what I'm quite interested in, early in Keating's career, he spent a lot of time uh, with Jack Lang. Uh, yes. And you asked him a question along the lines of, what were the things you picked up from Jack Lang that were useful to you? And I'm quite interested in asking a similar question in that at that time of interviewing Keating prior to him becoming Prime Minister, what were some of the things that you picked up from him that you were able to uh, implement in terms of your own career, particularly in the area of leadership? Uh, Well, the the difference is, Richard, that I never set out to be a leader in journalism. And... uh, and uh, I never had a grand, grand plan uh, in my early years. Right. Um, I, I had one early mentor who, and I did have uh, a couple of mentors early in my life uh, as a journalist, and, and the, the best advice I had when I was a, a young cadet uh, in a very small newsroom at Channel 9 in Brisbane, um, the best advice I received was, don't just be content to roll along in television, Kerry. Get out and experience as many different forms of journalism as you can. Be prepared to jump around. Mm-hmm. And and um, I was only 18 months into a four-year cadetship when I got my first graded position on a provincial newspaper in a, a city called Ipswich mm-hmm. in Queensland. Um, and some people would have wondered, why on earth are you leaving a capital city to go and work uh, on a provincial paper? Mm. And the answer was because, A, it was a paper, B, it had some quality to it, 
uh, and C, I was experiencing just about every facet of journalism uh, at a really fundamental level um, in a very intense way, very quickly, and it was a, it was one of the ba- one of the great learning curves of my life, and and then I moved around quite a bit in my early years. So I'd had about I'd chalked up about five jobs uh, in in I guess my first seven or eight years of journalism, and mm. uh, uh, it, it's it's I don't think I don't think that happens. To that degree, well, maybe it does these days, but but it was unusual. In the, it would have been very unusual in a lot of different professions, and uh, and so I, I learned as I went, and my career unfolded in front of me as I went. And I suppose I was lucky that um, that offers came along the way, and and other people almost um, dictated the course of my career for me. Mm. Uh, not not entirely, but. Uh, but uh, it was nothing like Keating's in that regard, no. and and so uh, I, I was just putting one foot in front of another as a journalist and going into the areas that interested. Sure. Well, I suppose there's a couple of uh, interesting questions that come of, out of that. Firstly, is that uh, win in the prime ministership or end badly? <laughs> sure. Uh, you mentioned um, that you never set out to be a leader, but I mean, certainly 2010, you were awarded a uh, Walkley. Uh, uh, award for your leadership skills in journalism. So I suppose not everybody needs to be a CEO to actually take an active role as a leader. And um, and I imagine that leadership uh, across the various uh, uh, roles and communities that you've been engaged with uh, must have been a critical skill to achieve what you have in your career. Well, again, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to write. Um at some point about the about the extraordinary times that I've worked through over the last 50 years because they've been times of massive change uh, in just about every area of human endeavor and every every bit and piece of what touches us um, but uh, but I, I um, really uh, I, I think at some point I realized that that the stage I'd reached in my career, the position that I occupied, um, did give me a voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what I suppose I was mostly intent on was um, was was seeking to underscore and protect those things that are important about journalism. Yes, and uh, and to see that the younger generations coming through understood the importance of the game they found themselves in. Uh, and and the certain the, you know the the kind of base values of journalism that we should all follow, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I do think that's particularly important now, uh, given the enormous changes taking place uh, in in the media, the convergence between print and broadcast journalism, uh, the the huge demands that are placed on journalists, the the relative use of newsrooms around the country and around the world. Uh, the uh, extent to which um, experience becomes less valued and diminished uh, and that the sort of corporate memory, the history that's carried in the heads of senior journalists uh, is diluted. Uh, I don't want to see that history forgotten. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've seen too often in areas like the press gallery the ease with which what's gone before gets lost in the chase for what's now. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and, and uh, and so, 
Um, I guess to a degree I have used my position to say those things, but mm -hmm. if you want to call that leadership, then okay. But uh, but really, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, um, I've never thought of myself as a natural leader, and I, I, I honestly, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to disappear up my own <laughs> fundamental, you know. Um, I understand. But but uh, but I think that some people. Uh, some people are, I, I don't regard myself as a natural leader. I think some people are natural leaders. Sure. I don't think you necessarily need an MBA um, to qualify as a leader. Oh, I completely and, agree with and, that. And I think sometimes that the formal mechanisms and, and steps of the ladder that we use to get to the top mm -hmm. can be an impediment mm -hmm. as much as, uh, as, a, uh, as, as a help. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting when you look at Keating's career, this guy left school just before his 15th birthday, and I'm certainly not advocating that people should leave school that early, not for a moment. Mm -hmm. But uh, here's a question about Keating. Would he have been as creative, as capable of thinking outside the square, uh, as prepared to take risk? Uh, in pursuit of the things that he was committed to, had he gone through a formal tertiary education? Sure. Well, I think now maybe I... he would have, but maybe some of that sense of freedom that he brought to his uh, style and substance might not have been as free. Mm. He made the comment. I think uh, he asked Lang whether he should go to university, and Lang said, uh, "There's no university that can teach you what you need to uh, adopt and and hold power." And uh, and. I think uh, you make a good point there. Certainly one of my motivations for this podcast is to capture the wisdom of those who have walked the path uh, for those um, to learn from. Uh, and uh, your point about you know the old uh, uh, expertise of journalism potentially uh, disappearing uh, by um, capturing these stories uh, and you capturing the story of Keating, etc., uh, it helps to um, create that record. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, that leads me into another question. Um, Keating made a comment along the lines of, I've always loved star power. It gives you that charge. Yeah. And uh, you've interviewed not only uh, political and business leaders, but also people from entertainment like Neil Young, James Taylor, Bette Midler, etc. What What do you think are some of the common threads uh, that are part of these people's personas that enable them to get to that level of influence and to truly be stars or be leaders within their fields? Oh, I, I think it's um, being driven by their passions much more often than not. Uh -huh. I mean, if you look at, uh, at a lot of the great entertainers, whether they're singers or actors, uh, that, uh, that they're often introverts, you know, that predominantly they're people who might not be shouting, but, but who might not uh, naturally mm -hmm. shout their talents to the rooftops. And, and, and famously, there are actors, you know, some of the great actors uh, that we've ever seen, who would, uh, who would be physically ill in their dressing rooms before they walk out on stage and put in a blinding performance. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think um, uh, either having the strength um, to back themselves and back their abilities once they realise they've got them, uh, I hate cliches, but to genuinely, I think, to follow their dream. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but at the same time, you know, these things can be easily said and hard to do. And and a person could have a great deal of ability and uh, bat their head against a wall for ten years trying to trying to to make the break and never making it. Mm. And some of those might be quite bitter if they heard these words and say, well, it's all very well for you to say them, Kerry, but it's not as easy as that. Sure. I mean, uh, there, there is, famously, there was a head of NIDA uh, who used to say to the young, to the, to the intakes, uh, to, the, to the NIDA school, which has produced so many brilliant um, uh, Australians who have adorned the arts, uh, this director used to say to his intake each year, uh, what you need to understand going in is that no matter how good you are, 5% of you will actually earn a decent living mm. uh, from your craft as graduates. Mm-hmm. And the other 95 will either fall by the wayside or you will struggle. Mm. And uh, that's, that's in a way a terrible lesson to have to learn. And so it's not just the ability I think that gets you through. There are all kinds of other things like determination, stubbornness, sure, um, having the passion, uh, and 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 just the kind of the blood, sweat, and the tears. Mm. I mean, all of those things are true, and yet still, a number of people will fall by the wayside. So it can be terribly unfair. And and I'm talking particularly about the arts now. A country like Australia uh, simply does not have, and certainly in my lifetime, will not have. Uh, the critical mass to support uh, the wide bank of talent and ability that we have in the arts. And yet the arts, I think, are fundamentally important to this country. Mm -hmm. I think they really are a part of what a nation is and what you can say about a nation. Mm. And if we uh, allow ourselves, as at times we have, to get too bloody bogged down, whinging about how much money is being spent on the arts by of taxpayers' money, I think we... We, we have a very poor understanding of the things that are important to community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've got a little bit uh, distracted there. But, oh, that's all right. Uh, but, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's certainly a different world where people are seeing the Kardashians, uh, you know, uh, uh, leap to uh, yeah. global stardom without talent. and yet Yeah, soaring mediocrity. <laughs> now, just uh, coming back to Paul Keating, um, I read a comment that you said, I haven't done this book to promote Paul Keating. I'm not an advocate of Paul Keating. I hope that the flaws in the man are evident. So how would you like to see Paul Keating remembered? Oh, I think, I think, um, I think uh, as, a, as a very successful reformer uh, at a critical period in Australia's, at a, at a pivotal period in Australia's development, uh, he changed the face uh, of the Australian economy, mm-hmm. internationalised the economy. He didn't do it single-handed, but he was the dominant driving force in that uh, in that reform process. Uh, I think that he was able to articulate in a in a very appealing way uh, the importance of things like. Um, Australia's place in the region and the world, mm-hmm. uh, the need for Australia to have some clarity about what its identity is and should be as a nation, uh, that there is a compelling argument for Australia to become a republic uh, without getting bogged down in emotional 
and nostalgic arguments about past ties to the crown. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that he um, he he did have vision as a leader. He did have deep flaws. He personally paid a price uh, for that. Uh, but that um, he uh, it can certainly not be said of Paul Keating that he did not leave his mark uh, on the development of this nation. Sure. Well, Kerry, I know that you're pressed for time, so I just want to uh, end uh, this conversation on one point. Uh, I read a comment that you made uh, saying, as a journalist, I've never had the assumption that I'm part of the story, and I've always had a reluctance to insert myself into it. Well, certainly uh, we have had very limited time today, but if the opportunity presented in 2016, I'm sure that my audience would love to hear your story and uh, about your career and your successes and lessons learnt along the way. So perhaps uh, when uh, things calm down a little bit for you, we might be able to schedule that in at some time. Good on you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Kerry. I really appreciate it and have a great afternoon. Nice work. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it's done. I've interviewed Kerry O'Brien, something to tick off on the bucket list, and I hope I conducted myself well and didn't embarrass myself too much uh, talking to somebody who has significantly more experience than me in uh, being on the other side of the microphone. Great conversation, and I certainly agreed with much of what Kerry had to say about leadership and about the arts, and certainly his... uh, reverence for the achievements of Paul Keating uh, and the influence that Paul Keating had on both the Australian political environment and the broader economic environment were fascinating to listen to. And if you liked it, I would certainly encourage you to read uh, Kerry's book, Keating, which is uh, quite a thick book, uh, but it's a very easy book to read and I found it quite captivating and would highly recommend. So I hope to have uh, other equally interesting and diverse guests on the podcast over future months. Certainly if there are people that you would particularly like to see me showcase on the Arrowtay podcast, feel free to drop me a line and make those recommendations and I'll see what I can do to make that happen. But in the meantime, have a fantastic week and I look forward to engaging with you again on the Arrowtay podcast soon. Thank you. Thank you.